everyone. Welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio, episode number 113. I'm one of your hosts, Chad Dotson, our other host tonight, everyone's uh, favorite. I say that every week to whoever's with me, but because uh, I, I know that I'm not the favorite. I, I, can, I can accept that. It's our buddy Bill Lack. How are you today, Bill? Lucky number 113, and then the credo for the Reds this week is you can't you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. <laughs> are you are you suggesting that this season has been a little bit difficult to stomach without uh, some assistance? I, I think you need some liquid courage to get out to the ballpark these last few days. Well, I think I'm going to have to agree with you. Uh, certainly, lot to talk about over the last uh, week or two. Not a whole lot of fun to talk about. The Reds, of course, won seven of nine, climbed back to 500, and then promptly lost three in a row to Atlanta over the weekend um, and didn't look particularly good doing it, although uh, there were some highlights in the series, chief among them. We'll talk about him later, but Johnny Cueto. Um, you know, after winning seven of nine, the Reds got back to 500. We thought, well, you know what? Maybe this team, uh, you know, here we go. Maybe they're ready to make a run, uh, promptly get swept in Atlanta. I'm not sure that uh, we can, should draw too many conclusions about that Atlanta series, but the Reds weren't particularly uh, competitive against an Atlanta team that's not hitting very well. They're pitching awfully well. Yeah, they're a real good ball club. And, and, you know, and if you want to look for a, the, the shiny side of the coin, I guess, you could, if you believe in the Pythagorean you know, theorem of, of baseball, the, the Reds should be 14 and 11 right now. So the Reds are... After a, they sure like a big old egg in Atlanta. Yeah, after a slow start, the offense uh, had actually started to catch up a little bit to what we had hoped they would uh, would do this year. And then, of course, in Atlanta, as you said, they laid, laid a bit of an egg. Um, uh, talking about Atlanta, let's go ahead and talk about Johnny Cueto. We, Joel uh, Luckup and I spent some time talking about uh, Cueto last week. And got to talk about him again, I guess. He pitched incredibly well against Atlanta in that one game that went uh, to extra innings at 0-0. Uh, battling against uh, Tehran. Cueto, second in the National League in ERA, 1.15 ERA. That's not that's not a bad way to finish up April. Uh, second in the league in strikeouts with 50. Uh, leading National League starters and wins above replacement at this point, 1.9. I, I guess what I'm going to ask you is this, Bill. Do we expect Johnny Cueto to have a 1.15 ERA at the end of the season? I'll say this. If he does, I think we may have the first Cy Young Warder winner in the history of the Cincinnati Reds. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> don't, don't step out on a limb there, okay? He, he's been incredible thus far this year. I mean, I don't think anybody had concerns about his ability to pitch well if he stayed healthy, but this is, you know, beyond anybody's wildest dreams, I think. I mean, and, and it's not just him. The whole, the whole starting staff, with the exception of Homer Bailey, is pretty darn well. Yeah, no complaints. Can't have any complaints at all, uh, which is fortunate because obviously uh, Matt Latos said today that probably not going to be back until mid to late May. That's that's what he's shooting for. And that's, now that of course is presuming that there are no other setbacks, and we've seen how that seems to happen with Reds pitchers: setback after setback after setback. But uh, the Reds rotation, like you said, with the exception of Bailey, uh, very very good, and, and and the bullpen frankly has not been. That bad, We maybe uh, a couple of uh, items to talk about with respect to the bullpen we'll get into in a moment, but Cueto, six, six starts, two and two record, um, you know, he's striking out almost 10 batters a game, I, just, I, I don't know where, where to start, just 
It's fantastic. Two complete games, one shutout, and he was one pitch from having another shutout. I mean, yeah. he made a bad pitch to McCutcheon in Pittsburgh, uh, which, you know, anybody can, that could happen to anybody. Um, he's just been pretty incredible. I mean, he looks like he can just throw the ball anywhere he wants it right now. He's just really hitting his spots. His, 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 and I haven't seen anybody that, other than the McCutcheon home run that's really squared him up. And even the McCutcheon pitch was, it was away. He just got his arms extended and he, and he didn't even pull it. He paid it out to right field. So, I mean, what are you going to say? Uh, let's yeah. just give him the Cy Young and we'll take the rest of the season off. Absolutely. That sounds good to me. But yeah, we've said it before, but what amazes me about Cueto is it just looks effortless. When he's, when he's going well, it just looks effortless. He's got that sort of, uh, I, I don't want to use the term lackadaisical necessarily, but that's sort of the way it looks is, uh, his motion. His pitching motion, and so uh, it just looks like he's not taking anything out. Each pitch, you look at a Matt Latos, it looks like every pitch he takes, you know, he's throwing it as hard as he can. Cueto is not that way, so very interesting pitcher, one of the most interesting pitchers in the league. Uh, if he can stay healthy, uh, that's what we've said since the beginning of the year. He has ace-type stuff, but he's not been able to stay healthy recently. Um, what about Matt Latos not coming back until mid to late May Best case, best case scenario. I'm not even going to think about Matt Latos until he's on the active list. When he is, then then I'm willing to talk about him. Before we get off yesterday's game, I wanted to hit on on, on yesterday's game a little bit. I want to micromanage Brian Price a little bit here. You talk about the Sunday uh, Sunday game. Yeah, that, yesterday's uh, game, the zero, zero to zero. Cueto game yesterday. Fifth inning. Nothing to nothing score. It looks like runs are going to be hard to come by. The Reds got a runner on third base and one out, and Zach Cozart's up. I would have pinch hit for Zach Cozart in a microsecond. Because there is just – I have zero confidence of him being able to get that run in. And it has turned out he struck out again. Um, and what do you think? Would you would you be willing to pinch hit for Zach Cozart in the fifth inning of a 0-0 ballgame? Yes. In a game like that where, you know, obviously runs were going to be at a premium the way those guys were pitching, um, I wouldn't have any hesitancy at all to uh, pinch hit for, for Cozart. In a situation where you've got uh, some chance of, of getting a run out of the, you know, out, out of the situation. Cozart, and, and I like Cozart, and, and I've said it on Twitter, I've said it uh, otherwise, Cozart hitting eight with the glove he has can be a, a valuable member of this team. But... That being said, he's batting one for the one forty-eight batting average, right? You know, Ex- one eighty-eight exactly. on base percentage. Yeah, that's that's not even you can't even bat eighth uh, <laughs> there. And yeah, the, and the problem is, you know, and, and we you know we talk about the 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 BABIP being. I mean, his BABIP right now is one sixty-nine, and you know, and three hundred is about average. But you know, when when they don't have to throw you a pitch in the strike zone and you'll swing at it, that number's never going to come up. Uh, yeah. Everything. I mean, he's swinging at anything away and anything up and in. They've struck him out numerous times lately on balls up and in. He's just he's struggling so bad, and he's and and you know it looks like almost. And, and I'm not trying to get in Zach Kozart's head for God's sakes, but it looks like he's trying so hard to break out of this that he's being you know super aggressive rather than going the other way and, and, and being more selective. Yeah, three walks in 84 plate appearances. That, that's yeah. not going to get it done. No, I mean that's in Brandon Phillips territory. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, well, Brandon Phillips, 
three walks in, let's see, 106 plate appearances. So it's even worse. And uh, Billy Hamilton, three walks in 93 plate appearances. Wow, wow. And there are a lot of bats uh, being given to those three guys. Um, yeah, yeah. I would, I would not have hesitated to uh, pinch hit for Cozart there. I don't really fault Price necessarily uh, for not making that move in the fifth inning. But the Reds really could have used a getaway uh, day win there and so as not to get swept by Atlanta. Of course, all these all these wins are going to be important at the end of the year, and, and all these losses. Um, so, the so, other question I had was using Para in the tenth inning. Um, the guy had been getting beat up the whole road trip for for the most part. Uh, he pitched well the day before, and you know he got three, you know he got two outs, but he walked the guy. He faced three hitters, but before that, he got beat up in Chicago. He got beat up in Pittsburgh, and, and I like Manny Para, uh, but right now he's struggling. And why you cut, you know, if you're going to use a, a left-handed pitcher, why you don't come with Marshall there, I, I don't understand. Why you come bring Paul, you know, Parr in when, when he's struggling, I, I don't understand. I can't make up my mind on Manny Parr. You know, there was a time last year, early in the year, we all thought, oh, what's this guy doing on the roster? And there was a time he was really unhittable almost. Uh, the end of the se- season, you, you look at his numbers, and they turned out to be pretty good. Uh, he had one bad, he had like a, a bad 10 days. In, and it was in late May, early June. Other than that, he was pretty nails for most of almost all of last season. And this year, uh, I guess coming off that season, he's pitched in 12 games. That's 25 percent more than anyone else uh, yeah. on the roster. Uh, he's you know the guy that Price wants to go to in those situations. And we gave Price a lot of credit for for turning Parra's career around last year. He's clearly comfortable with Manny Parra, so um, I guess. If we're going to question his use of Manny Parra, the first thing I ask myself is, well, do I know more about Manny Parra than Brian Price does? I'm not sure that I do uh, because I'm just on the fence. I can't decide whether I really like him or whether he just uh, scares me to death. Uh, it's you know, Depending on which day you ask me, I might have a different answer. So uh, Maybe I use him there, maybe not, but clearly it looks to me like uh, Brian Price is not going to hesitate to use him anytime he thinks it's a high-leverage situation. He's got a lot of uh, faith in Manny Parra for one one reason well, you know, or another. The other thing is, I mean, the, the twelve—I think the twelve games—is is kind of deceiving because for a long, a large period of that time, he was the only left-hander in the bullpen. No, oh, good point. Good point. Uh, and he's only thrown 10, 10 and a third innings. Yeah, you know, but but again, Sean Marshall's been back for what over a week now, and he's thrown three games. He's thrown two and a third innings. Yeah, I, I think it's very obvious that this team does not have, whether it be management, whether it be it was Baker, and maybe it's Price too. They don't think as much of Sean Marshall as we do. I think that's almost uh, a guarantee. Um, although the, the fact that Marshall's only been used three times for two and a third innings, but we talk can talk about small sample sizes, I guess. But I saw a stat yesterday that Reds relievers have thrown fewer innings than any bullpen in the majors this year, which is a testament to how good the starting rotation has been. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So I'm not sure that I'm ready to declare uh, any, anything on any of these guys uh, one way or the other. I, I think yeah, I can. And, you know, we're starting to get guys back into their, the places where they, you know, where they want them to be, you yeah. know, and throw into the guys that they want them to be. And it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, when uh, Chapman comes back and apparently in maybe a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. It'll be interesting to, me. to see who goes. It will be because Broxton is back and pitching. Uh, uh, fairly well. Marshall, of course, has b- pitched uh, effectively in his three outings, and then you've got uh, 
I think it's I think it's pretty obvious that it'll probably be Nick Cristiani because again this team see I mean they gave Logan Andrusic a two year deal so I don't see him getting sent down even though I think I'd keep Cristiani over over Andrusic. You don't you don't like Andrusic's ERA of nine? I, I don't understand. Well, he's only given up ten hits in five innings and walked two. Well, that is is that bad? Mm-hmm. An ERA plus a 43, yeah, that, that, that's almost as bad as J.J. Hoover's. Well, well, yeah, that's a, uh, let's talk about Hoover in a second. But, yeah, Chapman, you know, saw, saw the video of him pitching the simulated game, throwing to live hitters, looked pretty good. He's thrown a couple times now to live hitters, I think, once with a cage in front of him, and uh, he made him remove the cage the next time, which makes me, uh, maybe it's just me being hopeful here, wishful thinking, that because uh, what I'm most concerned about is his, Mental health when he gets back out on the mound because I don't know how any even the strongest competitor, the str- guy yeah, that's you know sort of the strongest uh, mentally focused guy, wouldn't have it in the back of his mind after what happened to Chapman. And so the fact that he's back, close to being back, I guess I should say, throwing to live hitters and throwing pretty well this quickly after that horrific uh, line drive to the to the forehead, um, I think that's good news. Uh, you know. Um, yeah, I, I think it's and I think it's pretty amazing. I, I do too. I, I, it, really it, do. I mean, if you saw that picture with the staples, <laughs> I mean, ew. he could he could have been out all season. It wouldn't have surprised me uh, after no, me an injury like that. And I mean, so, there have been guys that have never come back from from this kind of injury. Now, you know, these were years ago when medical technology was different, and you know, and and, and that kind of thing. I mean, uh, whenever anything, and I know it's kind of the flip side of this same coin, but I always think of Tony Clanigliaro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, whose career was was ended? Pretty much. Um, yeah, for the most part. So you know, the the bullpen has not been been bad. It's still uh, very curious the way Brian Price has has used his relievers, and I think that's something that we all were sort of looking at going into the season. Him being the pitching coach and, and wondering how he would uh, change things up uh, as opposed to Dusty Baker. Not seen a whole lot of. Uh, whole lot of changes in uh, the way he's managed the bullpen necessarily. And it's been sort of curious uh, when we talk about the use of Para and, um, well, even the use of, of Sean Marshall and the way he used LaCure there for a while early in the season. I'm I'm confused. Uh, what's going on with J.J. Hoover? Can't get the ball over the plate. He's been bad, hasn't he? He's been, and, and, and we, you, both, you and I both have said, you know, that we think he has closer stuff. Absolutely. But right now, boy, the kid is just struggling. I mean, he's just really having a hard time. And and he, you know, they may send him down to Louisville to try to get his feet under. Yeah, you I, know, I, I'm assuming he has options left. I do not know that for certain, but he's a young guy. I'm just guessing that he does. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I would think so, but I don't know what it is about Hoover. I don't know if it's the the goofy name or I don't know what it is. The the big beard. I think probably it's more of the fact that uh, last year at the beginning of the year he was. Sort of abused by Dusty early on, and uh, yeah. and took some some beatings early in the season. But for some reason, he gets hammered on Twitter worse than any pitcher other than Homer Bailey. Uh, and you know, people hate Homer Bailey. Um, but Hoover's not making a lot of money. I don't understand why there's such animosity towards JJ Hoover. He has been bad this year, but Hoover's going to be fine. Those of you who, I mean, we're we get tweets at, at the Red Lake Nation account all the time. This team can't is never going to win with JJ Hoover pitching, uh, you know, in important uh, situations, things like that. And I'm like, are, are you are you kidding me? Hoover was other than that stretch last year. Then there was one other stretch later in the year, but he was pretty doggone good all year long. Um, this guy, this guy's got the ability. He's a young guy. 
I don't understand. I, now, I, I can't defend the way he's pitched so far this year, uh, which has been just uh, miserable. Um, but uh, I'm not ready to yeah, say a, that J.J. Hoover is not a, a major league reliever. A whip of 2.684 is not going to make it. That probably, that's even worse than uh, Logan on Drusex. <laughs> <laughs> um, barely. <laughs> but the the, uh, the the bullpen, you know, they're the thing that, that, that kind of gets me is the the stuff that Price said before the season to me doesn't sound like he's adhering to the user, you know, re, using relievers for more than one inning, which he's done a couple of times, but not very often. Wasn't going to play matchups that much. I think you're seeing him doing a lot of matching up. Um, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe it's because he's kind of scrambling right now and he's got guys in roles that, that he didn't anticipate them being in, you know. But the other thing about the Reds' bullpen is it's not real young. No. Uh, the youngest guys are Hoover and Christiani, and they're 26. You know, Broxton yeah. and LeCure are 30. And, Parr's 31, Marshall's 31, Andrusik's 29. Part, you know, Parch got sent back down, but, you know, so they're not a bunch of young kids. I, th- I think uh, talking about the way Price has managed this bunch, um, yeah, they're not, he, he should, Price should know what he's, what he's getting out of these guys. You're right. They're mostly, mostly a veteran crew. Um, I think with respect to how he's used them in terms of uh, what we expected to any extent, things like that, I think that's absolutely been hampered. By the fact he's not had Broxton, Marshall, or Chapman for most of the season, um, and he's having to just plug holes in the dam wherever he can. Uh, so I, I don't question him uh, as much on that. And I think I think he has sort of played the matchups uh, more than uh, his quotes from the from the preseason would have had us to, had us to believe, which is how you know Para pitches twelve times with only uh, ten innings. Uh, he, of course, Para is probably a a, a loogie. Um, type reliever much more than, than Marshall ever should have been uh, although for some reason uh, well we've had that conversation let's not have yeah, it again the roles seem to have gotten reversed yeah so um, I, I, I wait to see what Price does with this bullpen when everybody's back and we're getting close to that uh, that spot you get to Chapman back hopefully soon then when you get um, Matt Latos back he'll Price will pretty much have the bullpen that he expected to have preseason right. and and I think you could see Simon as a couple, you know, as a, as a multiple inning guy. I think LeCure can be a multiple inning guy. Um, I think Hoover can be a multiple inning guy. You know, I mean, of course, he's got to pitch better than he's pitching right now. Well, I think Marshall could too, if assuming he can stay healthy. I don't think the Reds are ever going to use Marshall or no. Broxton or Chapman as a multiple inning guy. I just don't see it. I, I hope I'm wrong because um, I think they're handicapping themselves if they don't. But you know, it's going to be one of those "I'm from Missouri, you got to show me" things. Yeah, yeah, I would use uh, certainly Marshall and Chapman in a heartbeat in multiple innings. Um, I, I would love to see Price, and I don't think we'll ever see a major league manager do this again. Well, we might someday. It'll probably be Joe Madden in uh, Tampa Bay, but I would love to see the Reds do, you know, sort of something—a throwback to, to Goose Gossage—and and use Chapman in, sort of in that that the same way that uh, guys like Gossage used back then. Two and three inning saves, bring him in in the seventh inning when you got a tight spot and then let him pitch the rest of the way. Um, I think he's got the arm that he could do it. They'll have to you know, work him up to that. But it would be so it'd be exciting to watch, frankly, uh, to have a guy with that much ability be able to stretch out a little bit more and uh, instead of having to have a, a Logan Andrusek in the seventh or eighth inning uh, or, or a Curtis Parch. So, but that's sort of my pipe dream. That's never going to happen. No, I think you're probably right. And, and the thing that the, the other thing that I don't understand is 
and this maybe bothers me more than anything is when he brings in these these the back end guys the the to me with the the filler guys in one run games. Yeah, I mean, I you know if we're down two three even two in runs, but even more, then I don't have a problem with using the the Andrusics and the Christianis. But if we're in a one-run ball game, those guys shouldn't be pitching. I mean, I'm not saying ever because there's going to be times, you know, because of workload, you're going to have to use them. But there have been multiple times this year where we've seen Logan Andrusic in a one-run game where he had no reason to be out there. And like we just said, the bullpen, this bullpen is more rested than any other bullpen in the majors right now. Yeah, there's no excuse for that ever. Yeah. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, at least not so far this year. You're right. Occasionally that might be the case. But I would be trying everything I could to keep the Andrusex and the uh, and the well, not Para, but uh, Christiani the, and the Christianis. Well, and especially, and if you got a guy that's struggling, you know, get, if you're in a blowout game, you know, throw the guy out there and say, work your stuff out. You know, if we're already down four runs, if we get down eight, you know, if it helps us tomorrow, right? And 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 the chances the Reds will actually score four runs to come back and win are pretty slim, I guess, right? Yeah, that, well, some, <laughs> this some, weekend. Some weeks it's, you know, if they can score four runs at all. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, well, we've talked a lot about Brian Price so far. Let's uh, shift gears a little bit about on Price. Did you see his ejection yesterday? Actually, I didn't. I didn't see the first inning. Um, and I, and I, the only thing I saw was Bob Castellini clapping about it. <laughs> was he? Well, yeah. it was. Uh, there's a pretty good video that uh, is linked at the uh, in- Inquirer website. Uh, came from MLB.com, so I'm sure you can get it there as well. But they had it embedded um, in one of their stories from this morning. And uh, Price went out and challenged, uh, I guess, Johnny Cueto's first inning, I think. And uh, Cueto threw over to first. Votto picked, uh, it was B.J. Upton at first. And Votto put the tag on, and Votto knew immediately that the umpire's call was wrong and lifted his arm. And so they they did the replay thing, and uh, the announcers, announcers thought it was opposite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The announcers thought, well, this is going to be overturned. And, uh, and they were evidently showing it up on the big screen there, that big jumbotron they've got at Turner Field. And, uh, everybody in the stadium basically knew the umpires had missed it. And they come back and called him safe. And of course, it's an automatic ejection now if you come out and argue after a replay. But, uh, Price was right. It, I mean, they just completely blew it. Now, I'm 100% in favor of instant replay in baseball. I'm not necessarily in favor of the way they've implemented it this year, but I'm I'm on board with that. I think uh, it's the way to go. I, I think the idea that you get calls correct, or uh, I think that's where, the way we should be going, rather than this uh, human element of umpires, as, as we've heard uh, it described. But wow, how in the world do they miss? Uh, you need to go back and watch it because I, I can't figure out how what replay they were looking at if they didn't think it was conclusive that uh, Cueto had picked him off. Um, what are your thoughts about instant replay? I honestly haven't studied the rules on, on what's, what's, what you can appeal and what you can't. Are, are there limitations as to what you can appeal and what you can't? And, and, and I think you get one in the first six innings, and then you can ask after six innings, I think I read today. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 overly complicated and unnecessarily complicated. And, and my my concern is games are already too long, and this you know just lengthens them even more. Is is you know is there's a close play, and the manager kind of stumbles out of the dugout and kind of meanders out on the field real slow, so his guys in the dugout can get all the looks, and then they give him the thumbs up or the thumbs down or the wiggle or whatever. 
And, you know, how many times, you know, even with, even if you don't appeal, how many times a game is that going to slow the game? Are we going to go from, you know, three-hour games to three-hour, 20-minute games over this? And, and if, if that's the case, i got a problem with it. Yeah, well, here's what I think they should do. Have a guy up in the booth or in New York, wherever you want to have him, reviewing every single play. We, we see it on television. You can usually tell within a few seconds uh, or, or uh, you know, 10, 15 seconds. Was that play right or wrong? If it's clearly wrong, uh, click the button and, uh, you know, I guess they have the uh, a, a big red button they can, they can mash. It'll cause a, a pager or something to go off on one of these old umpires. <laughs> yeah. And just let, let the um, on whoever's the uh, crew chief on the field know, hey, you screwed that one up. Let's overturn it. I mean, it, it can be done very quickly, um, and it would uh, minimize a lot of the arguments against replays in terms of it taking too long and, and the way it's, it's implemented. I, you know, this whole challenge system, it's just, uh, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in football as far as, as, far as I'm concerned either. But then again, all they do is stand around in football anyway. Um, in, now, now, now. <laughs> in, My biggest complaint about the one about the the NFL system is that you can't challenge everything. Yeah. I think if you're going to have a replay system, you should be able to challenge anything. Well, why not the same way in baseball? Why not just every play be automatically reviewed? Why can't they do that? I'd have to. I, I, it would, it would almost be like the game was being controlled from somewhere else. That would be my only hesitation. Well, you have a fifth umpire in each crew. I had a fifth umpire to each crew, and they rotate up into the uh, uh, the press box every fifth day um, just to review the you video. All day if you don't start in the morning and if you're up in the <laughs> booth, you know. That's right. By the eighth inning, you might have an umpire up there that's uh, had one too many uh, Bud Lights. You'd be in the Joe Nuxall seats. That's, that's right, Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, they'll be dying to get, get that fifth umpire role. All the all the yinglings you can drink. There you go. Um, Since we're ta- while we're talking about refer- umpiring and, and scoring and that kind of thing. Wait, I, I thought we were talking about beer. Oh, we can always talk about beer. We, I can, sometimes <laughs> I can tell the story about when Joe Nuxall dropped the beer on my wife's head at Riverfront Stadium one time. Oh, well, hey, listen, everybody's got a story like that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you were talking about scoring. I want to know. What planet the official scores come from these days? Because I don't know what you have to do to get an error anymore. Let's take yesterday's game in particular. Pena's double hit hit Upton right in the pocket of his glove. And he dropped it. And they ruled it a double. Yeah. The ball that Upton hit back up the middle. Now, I know there have been guys I, I read today that, you know, I think it was Steve or somebody on the blog today said they thought that Hoover's play was a tough play there in the 10th inning. It didn't look tough to me. It looked like a one-hopper comebacker. I think it was one-hop. But it was a ball that he had, again, he had it in the, in his glove. And he got, it got away from him. It's a ball he has to catch. And it ended up being a winning run. Uh, and, again, rule a base hit. I, I think errors are becoming – uh, going the way of the dodo bird. Uh, I think we're much too easy on the fielders, you know. And, and I was listening to Chris Welsh, you know, saying, well, that wind blew that ball on Pena's double. That isn't the fielder's fault. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, don't you have to, you know, if he trips over the grass because, you know, there's a bump, is that not his fault either? And, you know, the ball goes rolling by him? I, I, I just don't get it. I, I I guess I have a higher standard of, 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 of what I grew up watching 
and and part of it meant you know maybe the, the round stadiums you didn't have the wind as much and you know the cookie cutter stadiums maybe that's what it's, or maybe it's growing up watching the big red machine who at one point went a month without making an error yeah you but, know a few years back you started to hear more stories uh, i don't know maybe 10 years ago or something you started to hear more stories about players uh, calling up to the press box to the official score, complaining about, or talking to him after a game, complaining about a a call, yeah. and, and and it sort of just amazed me that 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 could have any effect whatsoever on uh, an official scorer's decision. And and you know when when, a, when an official score, some you know very lowly paid guy who's basically volunteering his time uh, most of the time, uh, certainly not in it for the, for the the riches or the fame or the glory. Uh, when he makes a, an error call, it's you know g- the fielder gets an error uh, attached to his name. The hitter doesn't get credit for a hit, uh, so his you know his average or whatever goes down. Um, and so you're just making a lot of people angry. Yeah, the only guy happy is a pitcher. Exactly. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean the pitcher might not get credit for an earned run if, if it comes around and scores, or, or didn't, didn't get credited with giving up a, a hit. So. You know, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's the the, the root of it is is, some, is players just is complaining about uh, these calls, but I agree. I, there was a play in uh, another game. I think it was the uh, Red Sox game last night or the night before that I happened to be watching, and just a blatant, blatant error. And uh, even the the announcers were baffled as to how you could not call it an error. But um, it's something I've noticed uh, more frequently as well. Why, why, why don't you? Uh, why don't we start a a, a campaign to get you to be the official scorer at uh, Oh yeah, that would be a good plan. At Great American Ballpark. An error for you and an error for you. Everybody's getting errors today. Everybody gets an error. And if it's a play you could make, you know, uh then they you should they should it, definitely you make can it. catch it. There you go. There you go. Um all right, well, you know, we've sort of uh beaten several of these topics to death here, but we've not talked hardly at all about other than uh, Zach Kozar about the offense. And probably the first place to start offensively is uh, let's get back to the, one of our favorite topics uh, all season long, and that's injuries. Uh, Devin Mesoraco destroying the baseball, absolutely killing the ball, hottest hitter in the major leagues, and strained his left hamstring. And it's now on the disabled list. Uh, while we're happy that Tucker Barnhart is back, this really is a is terrible timing and, and really bad luck for Devin Mesoraco, isn't it? I feel so bad for the kid. I, I just, he's, I mean, he's a friend of, he's a friend of Red Leg Nation. You know, he's, he's, you know, the, the bit, little bit that I know him, he seems like a really good kid. Uh, he was, he was very, you know, pretty good friends with our old buddy, Matt Clinker. And Matt had, Matt thought highly of him. And he was just killing the baseball. He said he never hit the ball like this, even in Little League. You know, he said he never hit the ball like this. Um, and my guess is when he's, you're hitting like this, it comes up there looking like a watermelon. Yeah, what what an unfortunate blow for for Devin and for the team because he was absolutely you know uh, the time uh, the, the moment he came back from the disabled list and start and started hitting that's when the Reds offense started to click and uh, obviously that uh, that he wasn't the only reason but it sure didn't hurt to have a guy pounding the ball like he was uh, in yeah that. when you, when you've got a you know a seven eighty seven sluggage and a five oh nine on base percentage you're you're doing pretty well. Yeah, I was a little disappointed though that his batting average dropped to 468 because because it was about I, I think he went over three and it dropped from like 510 to 468 or something. Like that. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Uh, I expect more out of you, Devin. No, it's uh, 
And, and the concern is, you know, a hamstring thing can 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 linger, and, and even after he, you know, he's held, and, and a hamstring on a catcher is just that's a horrible, horrible thing. I would tend to believe, um, with all the squatting and the up and down and everything like that. And, and the other injury that kind of has me concerned a little bit too is this groin thing with with Todd Frazier. That's the one I was going to mention too. Yeah, tightness in his left groin because. I didn't know you had a left and a right groin, but that's a whole nother quote, another issue. Um, yeah, this is not the right podcast. That <laughs> yeah. That's the pod. That's the, that's red leg nation after dark. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but Jeez. you know, again, both these are, are just things that your concern could really linger. I mean, they could linger the whole year and, and you know, with the Latos injury and then, you know, who knows when we're going to get Devin back and, and Frazier, you know, you hope that this was just a one night, you know, one day thing. But, you know, then he went, what, 0 for 4 yesterday and struck out twice or something? You know, not that he couldn't have done that even not coming back from an injury, but, you know, it always makes me a little more concerned when a guy comes back from a day off and doesn't look very, you know, doesn't look good. You know, 0 for 4 and struck out twice yesterday. But of course, it was a one nothing game, so. A lot of that hits going were, on, hits yeah. Were pretty, hits were pretty hard to come by all the way around. But What concerns me there is that this team really – I was concerned preseason. I think a lot of us were. Are they going to get any kind of production out of the right side of the plate? And here, two of the guys uh, who had been producing somewhat, of course, Mesoraco was fantastic. Frazier had been all right. Uh, and really the only right-handed bats left in the line, right-handed bat that's still in the lineup that uh, has produced much at all is Ryan Ludwig at this point. And uh, I, I don't trust him, I guess I'll say. So, Me either, but he's hurt pretty well, to be yeah. fair. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't have complaints about the way Ludwig's played so far. I just, uh, over the long term, I'm not particularly optimistic on – I'm not bullish on uh, Ludwig's upside, but uh, but and, and, and you know you wonder how much help there is on the bench. Um, Heisey's played okay off the bench, you know. He's, he's yeah, right. he's Chris Heisey. I mean, you know, yeah. he is what he is. Uh, Bernadine is he's getting on base. I mean, he's not getting a lot of base hits, but you know, go off your bench with an on base percentage, you know, in, in three hundred. Yeah, you know, it's better than you know than the rest of them. Now, the Reds have never had anybody on the bench with an on-base percentage that high, uh, yeah. at least I mean, for the last and, and five that's years. The other good thing with Mazzarocco was, was, was before he got hurt was he had Pena on the bench, and, and he was not afraid to use Pena off the bench. I was pleased to see that. Yeah, he wasn't. Uh, Brian Price not afraid to uh, pinch hit with Pena. Um, who's, and he's done a good job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no no complaints about Pena. I just, he's the type of guy that's going to get exposed if he plays too much, which is what's unfortunate about Mazzarocco being out. Um. Yeah, are you to the point where you're becoming more concerned or more comfortable with Billy Hamilton? Oh, I, you know, actually a little, a little of both. Um, he's not been well. Billy Hamilton has not been good. Uh, like we can't sugarcoat that. Lately, we keep I keep seeing flashes, and whenever he can figure out some way to get on base, the, the kid makes things happen. I mean, he's so much fun to watch, and I, and I do think that he. Uh, I've said it probably two or three podcasts in a row now. I think he can be better uh, than what his on-base percentage. He can be more valuable than what you would think considering uh, what his on-base percentage is. If he can just get that on-base percentage up above somewhere north of 300. Uh, lingering at two. He's a, long, he's a long way from there. Long way, and which is uh, – and so – and he's not helping. He's not helping this offense. And I thought that the there was a suggestion made that I thought was pretty uh, pretty interesting – about Billy Hamilton, which was right now while he's still struggling, bet him ninth, because the the real benefit to having 
Hamilton hitting in front of Joey Votto is that uh, when Hamilton's on base, it wreaks some havoc, and hopefully Votto will get some more uh, fastballs as a result. And I think Votto believes that that's the case. And there is some evidence of uh, there's some you know, in terms of the studies that have been done, they're limited, but there is some evidence that there's not very little evidence of somebody being able to protect a hitter, you know, like uh, a hitter batting after Votto being able to protect Votto. There's not a whole lot of evidence of that ever happening. But there is evidence of uh, a hitter sort of being able to not really protect, but being able to help a hitter behind him. For example, because I'm not explaining this very well at all, when Hamilton's on base, Votto, more more fastballs, um, or even just to the extent that Billy Hamilton is uh, uh, distracting the pitcher. So you get some, with Votto batting second, if you, if you bat Hamilton ninth, you get some of the, the benefit uh, that you're hoping for having Hamilton in front of Votto. Wow. It does not feel like a force. That was uh, one of the ads on. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <laughs> I, I was hoping you had some uh, goofy uh, sound effect to, to, about how ridiculous I was sounding here. I thought that's where we were going with that. Sound like uh, it's dazed and confused reference. or something. I hate has those pop-up ads that just yeah. decide when they're going to play all on their own. Yeah, thanks a lot, baseball reference. But anyway, that's never going to happen. Hamilton's not going to bet ninth. But I thought it was an interesting idea. Hamilton is, uh, well... I won't say he's killing this offense at leadoff because he's done some things that have helped the team, but wow, uh, it's sort I, I did, of, it's sort I of brutal. Couple, I found a couple numbers today that, that that kind of made me even more concerned. He's and, and leading off a ball game, being the first fighter in a game, he's two for eighteen, and leading off an inning, he's eight for forty-three. Ouch! Ouch! Yeah. And, and his on-base percentage is it, it leading off the game is 200 and leading off the inning is 222. So it's even worse than it is anywhere else. The other thing that has me a little concerned, to be honest, is that he's only 9 for 13 stealing bases. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's not what any of us expected. I expected him to be higher than 69%. And, and he's young and learning, and, you know, I'm not throwing him under the bus, but, uh, you know, it's just something that these are some, some things – some things that kind of surprised me. Well, that makes me think that he's had a lot of success in the minor league stealing uh, bases, but that it's mostly been due to just his blazing speed. He's now yeah. against the best catchers in the world, and mm-hmm. the speed's going to get you most of the way there, but you still got to be able to read a pitcher uh, and uh, and get a good jump, and uh, he maybe still has some learning to do. I would expect him to still have learning to do. He's a young guy still. Yeah. Um, so, But I think we're seeing that he's he, he's human on the base paths after all. Um, you know, we talked about Votto batting second, and we talked about how Billy Hamilton's not been good leading off. Uh, are you as concerned as I am, I guess, about having Billy Hamilton first and Brandon Phillips third? Uh, you know, two guys that are really struggling um, right up there at the top of the order. Yeah, our, our friend Doug Gray had a, had a number, had a, like the stat on Twitter, I think it was on yesterday. I don't know when Doug put this up. But in the last 534 plate appearances, Brandon Phillips has hit 248 with a 291 on base and a 347 slugging. Terrible. And he's hitting in the three hole. Yeah. And this year, and this year he's hitting 262 with a 283 on base and a 330 slugging. He's got three walks and 107 plate appearances. I mean, he's killing them. And, and he's another one, you know, the, and I, like Zach Kozar, he's swinging at anything. Why would you throw a guy a strike if he's going to swing at anything? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Absolutely. Uh, oh, at com today, Steve had a, an article uh, about BP and some of the – that really backs up what you're saying in terms of plate discipline, swinging at more pitches outside of the zone than anyone in the major league except for one other player. Um, 44% of uh, pitches outside the zone he's swinging at. Yikes. Um, yeah. And, uh, and again, there are only one other player in the, in the major leagues who uh, swings it more, and uh, Nolan Arenado, the Rockies. But Phillips's contact rate on those outside the zone is um, 59%, while Arenado's is 74%. So he's swinging it more, but making less contact. Uh, he's, his, his, his strikeout rate is at 24%, which, you know, it's still early in the year, but that's 10% higher than any of his previous seasons with the Reds. 13 highest swing and miss rate in the major leagues, which makes it sound to me like uh, not just to him swinging outside the zone, but that slow bat, slow bat. Um, his slugging percentage has dropped over the last four seasons, 457 to 429 to 396, and, and now 343. Um, you know. <sighs> and, his, and his BABIP right, right now is extraordinarily high. It's 338. Sometimes I feel like we pile on Brandon Phillips, and I've been uh, I've really tried not to do that because there are things about Brandon Phillips that I've come to really like, and but I'm really concerned that he's doing what we've seen so many times with second basemen uh, when they start to get to 32, 33 years old, they decline. I mean, it just happens. Very few second basemen have been uh, able to sort of check that uh, decline and, and, and play effectively into their mid-30s. Um, you know, you think of guys like Joe Morgan and, uh, and Biggio and Lou Whitaker. Um, well, and you wonder, and you wonder, you know, how badly an anchor this his contract will be as it, as it wears on. Because he's a 10-5 guy after this year. They can't trade him after this year. I don't think they can trade him anyway. I don't. I don't think anyone wants to take a guy making. Oh no, I, don't, I, I, I agree with that. You mean nobody will take him? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with you, but but you know after the end of this, right now he's got some. I think I think there's a handful of teams that they can trade him to, but after the season, it's all on him. Well, and even if the Reds were able to trade him, and I would be very happy if they could unload him on someone, but who takes over second base? I mean, they don't have they don't have anyone waiting in the wings um, to play second base. So uh, I'm afraid that second base that spot is getting ready to be a serious serious concern for this team. Defensively, Phillips seems to still be okay. I, I don't know what the numbers are going to show this year. I'm sure he's lost range. Everyone does that age, but he's still uh, good enough to handle second base defensively in the major leagues. Uh, but this guy can't hit third. He's not been a, a good enough hitter in three or four years to hit third. Uh, and Brian Price, if Brian Price really thinks he's a number three hitter, he's thinking about a Brandon Phillips that does not exist anymore. He's thinking well, about the Brandon the Phillips of five years ago. We kind of joked about this in the past: is everybody can't hit eighth. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about Hamilton. We're talking about Kozar. Now, I, I you know Phillips isn't that bad. You know, he's not an eighth guy, but he's darn sure not a t- third guy. You know, and I don't, I, I don't know what the right lineup is for this team at this point. I honestly don't. Um, but if you put Phillips at sixth or seventh, even, but sixth, even, I, I don't complain as much. Uh, I don't have him. I, I don't have him hitting in front of Bruce or Frazier or Ludwig. No. Or Mesoraco when Mesoraco's back. Well, and you know, if, if, and if Devin had continued to hit, and, and hopefully he comes back and picks up where he left off or something close to it, 
at some point, you know, with his heart as he, cause he was squaring everything up. His balls, he didn't have many bloopers. No, no. You know, and if he's squaring the ball, you got to get him up where, you know, where when he's driving the ball, it's going to help you. Are, are, are we really to think though that Phillips is, uh, are, are we jumping the gun based upon some ugly numbers over the last, I don't know, season and a half? 534 plate appearances? Anyway, uh, <laughs> to use Doug's number. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people said that, you know, the, you know, he stroke, he was doing really, pitching, playing really well last year until he got hit by that pitch in Pittsburgh. And that's absolutely the truth. But that's not, you know, that's not to say that that was the whole reason that he didn't play well the rest of the year. I'm not saying that he wasn't hurt. I'm not saying, but, you know, Father Time makes, you know, brings out the truth in all of us. And Father Time seems to me like he's caught up with Brandon Phillips. I don't think he's getting the balls defensively that he got to last year and, and the year before. Well, and I, that that wouldn't surprise anyone, I guess. No, of course not. You know, he's not, you know, nobody's Superman. Nobody gets to, you know, put away, you know, hold off aging forever. The problem is the Reds didn't realize or didn't plan for the eventuality of him to be, to be in a declining nature when they gave him a big contract. You, you know, you, you can't give the guys big contracts when, on, when they're on the backside of the hump. You can't pay them for past performance. Exactly. Basically, you got to pay them for what they can bring you over the life of that. Which is what the Joey Votto contract is supposed to be doing, you know. And I and I think it will. Uh, whether I, you know, I don't know that Joey will ever have another year like he did when he won the MVP. I hope he does. But he's going to be a consistently very good player, very good to great player for a number of years, you know. Now, whether that contract will end up being an anchor, I don't know. I hope not, but it won't be nearly the anchor that Brandon Phillips' contract is going to be. No, it's getting ready to be a well. I guess it depends on how far off the cliff he falls. Um, but what concerns me is just we've seen some decline over the last two or three years, and I, think, I thought there was a very good argument that a lot of last year's decline, he may have declined a little bit ordinarily, but not as much as he actually did. It was sort of masked by or, or magnified by the injury. I, I, I thought that was a reasonable argument to make. Yeah. And uh, and I was hopefully to come back this year, and, and, and it's still early. Maybe he will turn everything around, but – it does worry me that his, his strikeout rate's up, his swing and miss percentage is up, um, and uh, he's swinging at more pitches outside the zone. Uh, th- those things, um, you know, you, you, we can look just at his, his regular hitting numbers. The fact that uh, he's hitting uh, 262, 283 on base percentage, 330 slugging, and say that that's that's not good. That's really really not good at all for us. And for a number three hitter, it's awful. Um, but these other sort of secondary numbers that uh, you got to kind of dig for a little bit that makes it look like he's swinging at worse pitches and he's missing more pitches. And those are the things that make me start to really get concerned about the, the aging process. So well, and, and to be fair to Brandon Phillips, you know, he might be doing what we've just, what we talked about Cozart doing earlier too. They put him in the three hole. So he's, you know, he's pressing, you know, it feels like, you know, especially if, the, you know, with Hamilton not playing real well, you know, he's trying to make something happen. And, and rather than, Sitting back and, and taking what what he can get, you know, maybe, you know, not swinging at anything that's within you know a, a foot and a half of the plate, you know, he's, he's trying to make something happen, and, and, and you know, it ends up turning out and bites him on the rear end. So there might be some of that involved in this too, in, in addition to the decline. To be fair to Brandon Phillips, and, and heaven forbid we should be anything other than fair to Brandon Phillips because he'll call us on it. <laughs> um. No, I, yeah, I agree. Who knows? Uh, we're still, it's, uh, as we're recording this, it's still, it's still April. 
and uh, you know, still only uh, one month of the season out of the way. Maybe those things uh, change around, and they could. He could have two hot weeks, and all those numbers look uh, fantastic again. So, uh, I'm I'm gonna keep my fingers crossed here. You can't see me. This is a really just uh, exciting radio here. You can't see me, but but I am crossing my fingers. Um. Well, that uh, pretty much covers most of the things I think that we have to talk about over the last uh, couple weeks. But now I thought we were talking uh, before we went on the air here, and I thought you had a uh, a pretty interesting question. Well, but even before we get to that, I want to talk about some of the minor league guys for a couple. Ah, weeks. yes, actually, that is one thing that we didn't didn't get to. For one thing, we want to send our best wishes out to our buddy Jesse Winker. He got put on the DL this week. He, he, he ran into a wall and got a concussion. And I sent him. A, I exchanged a text with him today and, and told him we were we were thinking about him and, and hoped he was back on the field real soon because he's playing really well. He is tearing Bakersfield up. I mean, he's hitting three thirty three with a four thirteen on base and a five fifty one slugging at twenty years old in <laughs> IA. Yeah, that'll get it done. That's that's pretty strong. Um. The other guy, the other guy down there in Bakersfield that's playing pretty well is is uh, uh, Ben Lively, the pitcher. He's five and zero. He's got a .31 ERA. He's thrown twenty nine innings. He's given up one run, thirteen hits, one walk, and forty strikeouts. Is that good? It's not bad. Um, I, I'm getting ready to start the free Ben Lively campaign. <laughs> um. Again, more uh, exciting radio here. I'm trying to look up. Uh, you know, John Sickles is a. Uh, I'm doing a quick search here. Ben Lively, first of all, was uh, I think named the. Uh, oh gosh, uh, California League I think pitcher of the week this week, and uh, John Sickles is sort of a minor league uh, guru. Uh, I love his uh, minorleagueball.com website. He does a, a prospect a book every year, and he did a. a a piece last week about Lively, and you know I'd been sort of watching Lively and uh, interested because you know he'd, he'd had some uh, obviously some the scouts loved him, and uh, we heard some good things. But uh, Sickles was just off the charts on this guy. Um, you know he started out the season with a thirty-three to one strikeout to walk ratio. Um, he gave up. Yeah, yeah, he gave up. Uh, he didn't give up his first walk until his uh, fourth start of the year, um, and allowed eight eight hits total in those four starts. Um, and uh, and he yeah. pitched real well at Billings last year. I mean, this isn't like you know he's come out of nowhere. Well, he was a college pitcher, and uh, but he was picked in the fourth round, and and the reason he was picked uh, so late, although you know fourth round late, but was evidently because of his uh, his motion. It sort of, has sort of an odd. Uh, delivery and uh, so he, he he lasted until the fourth round last year from the University of Central Florida. But was great in college. Was uh, he got a fastball that gets up to ninety five, solid curveball. Um, uh, has a slider to change up as well, and uh, and he can evidently hit the strike zone with all his pitches. So um, yeah, free Ben Lively. That guy's got to be in Double A soon and. Uh, I'm as excited about him as I am anyone else, including uh, Robert Stevenson, any other pitching prospect the Reds have got right now. This guy looks uh, too good to be true. I agree. Uh, a couple other guys that, that kind of caught my eye, and, and, and you talked about the, the middle infield. 
There's a kid playing double-A ball named, named Juan Silverio. He doesn't walk much, but he hits. Um, he's only 23. He's playing double-A ball. He's hitting 338 this year. Uh, he's played pretty good last year. I think he was in Bakersfield last year. Another guy that's caught my eye is, is a, John, a guy named John Moscott. Uh, five starts, 2.08 ERA. He's, he's playing, he's pitching in, uh, in double A. Um, the other thing I want one more thing before we get off minor league guys is I want to throw out a, 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 a attaboy to one of the, an old Reds farmhand. Scott Carroll, who was drafted by the Reds in 2007, got his first big league start and win yesterday for the White Sox at 29. 29. That's that's uh, sticking to it. That's right. So hats off to Scott Carroll. Congratulations. Now I love stories like that. Uh, you know, just you keep you pitch pitch and sort of, sort of a journeyman sometimes all over the place in the minor leagues and you're riding buses for years and years and you could finally get a chance to uh, get that cup of coffee. Um, so reminds, reminds me, it used to be a guy named Skeeter Barnes. Skeeter Barnes, oh yeah. And he, you know, he was in the minor leagues forever. He came up with the Reds a couple of times, and he ended up play, he ended up having a decent career for the Pirates. I mean, not for the Pirates, with the Tigers. He played for Sparky mm-hmm. up there. Yeah, Skeeter, was, Skeeter and Sparky. It sounds like a a, a lame sitcom from 1986. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, a couple weeks ago, before we get to what we were going to talk about a moment ago, I do want to mention one other thing. Um, the last time you and I were, were together here on Red Leg Nation Radio, uh, we did a, a sort of reminiscence of uh, Pete Rose for his birthday. And, and today, uh, two birthdays in uh, in Red's history. Yes, there are. Barry Larkin, the, the Hall of Famer, and Mr. Perfect, Tom Browning. So Who Lark- has been on Red Leg Nation Radio. I, I, that's right, absolutely. A friend of Red We'd Leg Nation. We'd love to have Barry Larkin on. Anytime yeah. he wants to come on, he's more than welcome. Yeah, we got to make that happen. Uh but two uh, two of the greatest in uh, recent red recent vintage uh, Reds history, and so happy birthday to those guys. I was I'm a huge I was a huge Barry Larkin fan, huge Barry Larkin fan. Uh, well, me too. He's he's my favorite. Uh, I guess my favorite Red of all time. But there was a time uh, when I was a pretty big uh, Tom Browning fan as well. That guy was a bulldog. Uh, loved watching him pitch. And Tom was always his own guy. There's no doubt about that. No doubt, no doubt. You got one memory from either one of those guys you want to. Uh, well, with Barry, it was just watching him play. I mean, he he was just such a complete player. Um, you know, if, if you needed a ball to the right side, he hit it to the right side. Defensively, he could do everything. He could steal a base. He could hit the ball out of the ballpark. I mean, just next to Eric Davis, I think he's probably the most complete. And Joe Morgan, he's probably the most complete player I've ever seen play in the Cincinnati Red uniform. Uh, besides Adam Dunn, of course. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not sure Barry can handle the banana phone. <laughs> exactly. My and Barry Tom and, and, and Tom Browning my biggest thing was doing that interview with him that day. I just got a, I just had the most fun doing that interview with him and was amazed at his memory. Yeah, he was uh he was a he could fun remember guy. the fact that he could remember seven of the eight guys at his first major league start and they weren't the big red machine. Right. You know, they weren't. They weren't. You know your your uh, household names, and he remembered <laughs> seven of the eight. I was very impressed. That's pretty good. Uh, my memories of those guys both are from 1990, which I guess most of, uh, for Reds fans of a certain age, a lot of our memories are going to be wrapped up in that 1990 team. But I think about Barry Larkin, and uh, of course I was a teenager at that time, and just uh, enthralled by everything that that season represented. 
I remember in the World Series, Larkin taking a pitch. I mean, this this pitch was over his head and drilling it into the gap for a double. And I was like, gosh, this this is going to happen this year. This team, they're hitting everything. They're uh, hitting on all cylinders. And uh, I'll never forget him swinging that pitch over his head and driving it for a uh, – and that was a young uh, Barry Larkin at that time. And, and Tom Browning uh, – I remember after that, uh, you talk about interviewing him, and my memory of him has to do with an interview. It was after the World Series. Uh, actually, I think I guess it was probably after the National Championship Series win against the uh, Pirates, and Joe Nuxall was, was interviewing him on the radio. And I, I can still in my head hear Joe Nuxall, TV, my man TV. And I swear they both sounded like they were already three sheets to the wind and just the happiest guys on earth. Uh and I was pretty happy at that time, too, because the Red Legs were going back to the World Series. So um, happy birthday to both those guys. And, and since you're talking about the 90 World Series, let's give our buddy Joe Luck up a plug. Yes. If you're looking for a good book, Reds Wire to Wire, John Arardi and Joe Luck up. Can't beat it. If everyone that's listening to this hasn't already read that uh, book, I'm going to be very, very disappointed. But on the off chance that there's somebody out there that hasn't read it. Um, well, I don't you, care if you've read it. Buy a copy. Exactly. Buy two copies. Buy three. Give one to your brother, your sister, your uh, right. uh, your nephew. Mother's Day is coming up. Oh, it makes a perfect Mother's Day gift. Absolutely. Yes. Father's Day soon after that. Oh, right. Exactly. Um, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic book. And that's, a again, for, for Reds fans of a, of a certain vintage, being able to re- reminisce about that team uh, never gets old. So, um Kind of the ways guys of your age you, uh, always reminisce about that 1939 and 1940s team, right? Actually, I, I'm more of a fan of the 1919. Ah, yes, exactly. They'd have, they would have won that series no matter what, whether the other team was throwing it or not, right? The only problem was we couldn't sell beer on Sunday then, you know? That's right. Yeah, you, <laughs> you didn't like it. That was right around the time you were turning, uh, I guess, 18 at that time. Yeah, that's, right. that's what it was. <laughs> I took a little straw hat down to the ballpark. Exactly. Good times, good times. All right, one uh, one last thing we want to talk about. I'll let you go ahead and lead into it. Well, I, I guess, you know, we're about a month into the season, and, and the question is, what do we know about this team after a month? And, and I don't know what the answer to that is. I, I think we know that they're going to be streaky offensively, I, I, which the Reds have tended to be the last few years, I think. Um, I think we know that the starting pitching is really good, you know, which isn't a big surprise. We knew that coming into the season. Um, I don't think we know yet what kind of manager Brian Price is going to be because the injuries of kind of having piecemealing things together. Um, I don't think we know whether the front office is going to try to make this team any better. They sure didn't try to do, do much in the offseason. I, I think that's a good question. Are they going to try to improve this team any uh, going forward if the Reds continue to sort of struggle a little bit or, or tread water? Uh, Joel and I talked about this, uh, not really in these terms necessarily, but uh, my thought about it uh, was basically, I don't know that we know anything now that we didn't know before the season, or or I don't know that we've learned anything that would cause me to change my mind about this team, which is I thought this was a team that was going to be a better than average team and and be sort of in the wild card hunt. And uh, injuries, the number of injuries, which has been just crazy, that makes it a little more difficult to determine one way or the other whether or not this is a good, really good team or a really bad team or somewhere in between. But I haven't seen anything that makes me think anything other than what we really, I think, all of us thought before the year. They're going to be good pitching. 
hitting is going to be a question mark, but uh, you know, possibility that they could uh, certainly improve offensively. I, I think all that's still uh, up in the air. I don't think the fact that they've they're uh, I guess three games under 500 right now. I don't think the fact that they're three games under 500 against a really pretty tough schedule over the first month is a reason for us to go ahead and uh, give up hope or for the you know the Reds uh, to start uh, thinking about selling selling off, becoming sellers uh, at the at the trade deadline. Uh, but on the other hand, they are going to have to start playing better. They're going to have to get some guys healthy and start playing uh, better all the way around at some point, sooner rather than later. You hope. Um, you can only hope that Walt Jockett, after sitting on his hands, uh, or I, I say sitting on his hands, I'm sure he tried to improve the team in the offseason, wasn't able to do that. You got to think they're really uh, working the working the phones because this team has some holes. This team has some. Uh, there's some pretty clear places where it can be improved, and uh, that's we some. Have skipped, we should have skipped Schumacher back before too. Oh, I've been waiting for the Skip Schumacher era to begin in Cincinnati, waiting with bated breath. I'm just uh, I can I just I can't contain myself. I'm waiting for Skip Schumacher bobblehead me. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know what, though, Chad? The one thing I think we have maybe learned, because I think there was question going into the season whether Devin Mazzarocco was major league ready, whether he'd be able to perform at this level. And I realize, you know, it's limited play, you know, the small sample size. But I think it's fair to say that Devin can perform at this level. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I don't think that he certainly was intimidated or out of his uh, out of his element uh, being handed the starting catcher's job the primary starter yeah i i agree with that I, and i was less concerned about that than some others i think you were less concerned as well i think we but uh it's good to see him actually get in there and and it's like he wanted to grab that uh the mantle of being the starter being the guy behind the plate yep. and uh i wish he'd hurry and get back all right anything else we need to talk about here today william i, I have nothing well we pretty much beaten this uh horse uh, to death you know, the Reds are frustrating. I wish they would do something soon to get us. This is another thing we were talking about off air. You know, they're just sort of uh, treading water. They're sort of there. There's not a whole lot to get excited about right now. And uh, I don't know. We need a we need a big win streak or something, uh, something exciting to happen to really start to make this season feel like it's, uh, it's something more than a drag because they're they're bringing me down, man. Well, the other thing is, you know, they've been they've, they've spent a lot of time on the road. And if they could come home and run off some wins on this on this homestand, I, I think it would it would pump the team up. I think it would pump the fans up, uh, pump up the attendance, which is always a good thing. Uh, so I think this I think this homestand is pretty important. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And the attendance has not been uh, terrible so far, but you are getting into the part of the year where uh, kids are be getting out of school, and um, it would be good for the uh, team, this team to give Cincinnati something to be excited about. Uh, for the next few months. Uh, my fingers are still, are still crossed. Yep. All right. Well, I guess that's all we've got here uh, today. I'd ask you to go and uh, to redlegnationradio.com, subscribe to the podcast. You can subscribe via iTunes or or uh, you can use the RSS feed to subscribe using whatever device you use to listen to podcasts. You can also obviously listen to the, uh, the podcast there at the website. Download them to your computer. Listen to it there if you wish. Um, I download I download my podcasts onto my phone. Listen to them on the way to work in the morning. Uh, however you like to do it, you can get uh, the links to do that at RedLegNationRadio.com. Follow are us. These, are we doing these on smoke signals yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not quite using your technology yet. Uh, we're a little bit a little bit past that. Right. Um, so what, see now you make me feel bad that we're, there's a, a a format out there that we're not providing the uh, the podcast <laughs> on. Uh, 
go to Red Leg, at Red Leg Nation Radio, or excuse me, at Red Leg Nation is the uh, Red Leg Nation Twitter feed. At Red Leg Radio is the Red Leg Nation Radio Twitter feed. At Bill Red Leg N and, uh, is, is Bill Lack, and I'm at Dotson C, D-O-T-S-O-N-C. Uh, if, if you happen to be doing the Twitter thing, Go to RedLegNation.com and read all the uh, all the content every day. We're it's our tenth season covering this uh, crazy ball club that uh, we for some reason all love so much. Bill, appreciate you joining us again, man. All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. For Bill Lack, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone.